This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of July 11, 2022. Uh, and before we get into games, Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, my my kids are off camping with my parents, and uh, my my husband and stepson have gone on a big graduation trip in Eastern Europe, and so I have the house entirely to myself, which is very strange unbelievably strange but, but awesome but kind of awesome yeah <laughs> yeah i love my family i also love solitude I love when they go away <laughs> yeah both are good things in my life yeah <laughs> uh, I hear that. The, these last these last like two and a half years have had a lot more of my family than my family going away so right. yes uh, um how about you how are things going good um we just went camping for the first time for the kids and never been camping before. So it was a learning experience for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an Eagle Scout. I think I've mentioned that on the podcast. So I have a certain uh, level of comfort and also uh, ability to sort of go through the motions when it comes to camping and not really think about the process or like the needs of people who don't, you know, who, who didn't spend like, at least one weekend a month and at least one week every summer for a good 10 years of my childhood, like going camping. So that was, that was interesting because there was a lot of like <laughs> my, my wife looking at me as like waiting for an explanation when I would just like say something or do something or grab something. And I'd just be like, what, this is what we do. This is how <laughs> you camp. Why are we bringing that? We don't need that when we camp. You need one pair of clothes, like one outfit and one mm -hmm. extra outfit. Why? <laughs> so, but it was good. It was a good time. Nice. Uh, I caught two fish. Nice. And my daughter netted those two fish. So she participated. Yay. Uh, yeah. Summer stuff in Colorado. We did it. You can check that box now. Uh, but anyway, we have a week of Jeopardy to talk about. We sure do. So, on Monday, July 11th, we have the contestants Steve Clark, a lawyer from Chesapeake, Virginia, Alethea Stevens, a course developer from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and Robert Wan, a math professor from Washington, D.C., whose one-day cash winnings total $32,001. We have the Jeopardy! round categories Glaciers, Hearing Red, The Ravenpuri, why? Uh, license <laughs> plate mottos. Yeah. License plate mottos. Great Britain in the 1700s and cheery O with uh, O in quotation marks. And the Raven Puri category, each response pretty much rhymes with nevermore. Like, pretty much. <laughs> what does that have to do with Puri? Uh, okay. I guess it's because it's just about a bunch of different things that happen I to guess? rhyme with nevermore. Yeah. I don't. Whatever. It feels personal. <laughs> I just, They're coming for you. I just, yeah. it, I'm sure it's not, but it feels personal. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a fun category, though. 
It was a fun category. I really did enjoy that category, yes. Quote it was the very Raven good. Trojan War. Quote the Raven Petit Four. <laughs> Quote the Raven Vandy War. It's yes, so they good. All, they were all very good. Uh, I bet, uh, whoever wrote that had a very good time yeah. putting that together, I'm sure. Yeah. The, the whiplash of going from 99 red balloons to the wiggles. <laughs> In the hearing red category. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with the Wiggles is very small. I haven't had my kids watch the Wiggles or anything, except for their toilet song, which we use during potty training. Mm. I know that one by heart. I don't know that one. Not going to sing it because I don't want to get, you know, a DMCA strike. Yeah. Because that would definitely happen. Definitely. Uh, But that video was fairly effective, I will say. Gets stuck in your head pretty easily. It's good to know. Um, we listen, still listen to the Wiggles fruit salad song when we are making or eating fruit salad. <laughs> it's good to have a themed soundtrack for your life. Yeah. Daily Double number one is uh, the second pick of the round, super early, in the license plate mottos category at the $400 level. And uh, Robert finds this one, having gotten that first clue correct. He just t- has 200 at this point. Everybody else has zero. And he wagers a thousand, the maximum possible, and gets the clue, great faces, great places. He tries what is New Hampshire, uh, but that's not correct. It's South Dakota, and the faces are of Mount Rushmore. Yep. New Hampshire has the old man in the mountain. Yeah. So maybe that was I could see that, yeah. Or maybe... Maybe he just thinks New Hampshire has, uh, you know, great nice faces. Faces and places. Yeah. Um, Well, at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Steve has taken the lead with 6,600. Robert's at 5,800. Alethea is at 2,200. We have the double Jeopardy categories. Writer, wronger, characters in the movie, trial and era, wood, geography from Macau to Ogden, all responses will fall alphabetically between those two place names and familial phrases. Where, okay, at the $1,200 level of familial phrases, like, they were just messing with the contestants, right? Like, this rhyming phrase suggests women should prioritize sibling-like relationships. Oh, okay, I see it. Sibling-like relationships with other women over those with men. Sisters before misters is uh, what they were looking for. And Robert got it after Steve missed with Gal Pal. Um, That's I, funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I learned a not Jeopardy appropriate version of that before I ever heard the phrase sisters before misters. So. I'm, I'm, what would that be? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I expunged all of those things from, from my memory. When you took the cloth. Yes. <laughs> yes. I understand. That's how that yeah. works. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure Robert remembered it, though, from the face he made after he got it correct. <laughs> I wonder if they would have... No, okay, yeah, you're right. It had to be sibling-like relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Probably wouldn't have taken Yeah, they wouldn't one. have taken the other one. Alas. Uh, classic trivia factoid that we need to know in the wood category at the two thousand dollar level this soft lightweight red wood is named for a man born in what is now tennessee around 1775 that's sequoia 
Also, one of the few words that has all five vowels in it. Yeah. Oh, not only did this one have the sisters before misters clue, we also had nobody deciding to ring in and guess the Marquis de Sade. I have a hard time imagining that nobody thought briefly to themselves, could it be the Marquis de Sade? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I I think if, I don't know, if it had come to mind, I feel like you would have guessed it. Yeah. But maybe not. That's one of those things where, like, I would have been, like, hesitant to say it on TV without being 100% certain, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I guess, like, being like, yeah, I know the Marquis de Sade. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me how. Yeah. <laughs> right, Daily Double number two is in the familial phrases category at the $1,600 level. It's pick number seven in the round, so it's pretty early. Robert finds it. He is at 9,000. Alethea is at 2,600. And Steve is at 5,400. And he wagers 5,000, which I very much like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets the clue. As a verb, it means exempt from new legislation. And he gets it correct with what is grandfather. Yep. Which pretty sure has some has some problematic origin. Yeah, I was just I was just fact checking myself on it, and I was correct. Yes, problematic origin, uh, specifically with voting requirements like literacy tests and stuff. A grandfather clause was you are not subject to this requirement if your grandfather could vote. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's problematic. Um, and daily double number three is in the geography geography from Macau to Ogden category at the twelve hundred dollar level. And Robert finds this one at the eleventh pick. Is that? Yeah, that's all three daily yep. doubles for Robert. He has 16,800 at this point, to Alethea's 3,000 and Steve's 5,400. He wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. This city of more than 4 million people is home to the Jamia Mosque and Kenyatta University. And he gets it correct. It's Nairobi. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Robert is up to 23,000. Alethea is at 7,400 and Steve is at 13,800. We have the final Jeopardy category, Musical Theater, and the clue, it's one of the most revived shows in Broadway history, and in 2001, it was designated the State Opera of South Carolina. Uh, really, if the category is Musical Theater and they call it an opera, that to me says it's just one. Like, there's one option. Yeah. Which uh, a couple of them got. Alethea got it right with what is Porgy and Bess, which is a, an opera, but typically staged and performed through you know, on Broadway and through musical theater rather than through a typical opera setting. She wagered everything but a dollar. Steve also got it correct and wagered 4601, which brought him up to 18,401. Robert wrote what is South Pacific, which is not. Not an opera. Not an opera. Also, I'm not sure what it has to do with South Carolina, but it has been revived a lot. Mm. And he also wagered 4601. Convenient that they... <laughs> Uh, wagered the same thing, but that dropped him down to eighteen three ninety nine, uh, which means Steve is our winner. And I, I mean, I realize we're pretty late to the game because this was already last Monday. But a lot of a lot of bad takes about oh, the math professor huh, lost by two dollars. Did some bad math there. It's like no, mm -mm. he made a cover bet of forty six oh one. 
yep. Steve or yeah, Steve made a proper wager mm-hmm. to get ahead of that if he got it wrong, and that's just the way it is. Yep. Everything was right. Everything was good. Agreed. And that brings us to Tuesday, where we have the contestants Ben Collar, a history teacher from East Brunswick, New Jersey, Tamina Malik, a business developer from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and Steve Clark, a lawyer from Chesapeake, Virginia, whose one-day cash winnings total $18,401. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Human Anatomy, The Lion King, that's L-Y-I-N apostrophe, (laughs) who's in that commercial, in disposable, responses will be made up of the letters from the word disposable, national sounding items, and welcome to the jungle. And shout out to Misinformation, the trivia podcast, where a while back they did like a things that you might get confused with each other episode. Mm-hmm. Um, where they talked briefly about Upton Sinclair and Sinclair Lewis and gave me the mnemonic that Upton sounds like uptown, like you're in the city. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. uh, you know, that, that he has, that his, uh, his work is focused on, you know, sort of more urban matters, uh, like the, the meatpacking industry in the jungle. And so I, uh, I remembered that it was Upton Sinclair and not Sinclair Lewis this time, finally. Nice. Yeah. That's good to remember because I definitely also have to double check myself every time I think of one of those two people. Uh-huh. It's a little bit embarrassing that I am so bad at Kings of England, but because of the animated Robin Hood, I never miss one about Richard Lionheart and, and King John. <laughs> I mean, those ones are just always there for me. Well, the animated Robin Hood is uh, it is it is sound historical Mm -hmm. uh, documentation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. Yes. Yeah. Might as well be watching a documentary. Might as well. (laughs) Love that foxy fox. (laughs) Everyone loves the foxy fox. Uh, Daily Double number one is really close to the end of the round. It's pick number 29. It's in the Lion King category, just above that uh, King John question at the $800 level. Uh, Steve finds it. He's at $6,400. Tamina's at $3,800. And Ben is at zero. And uh, he wagers just 1000 Gets a clue. This mythical king, whose name now refers to a never-ending task, lied to get out of Hades. And he gets it correct with who is Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Steve is up to 7,400. Tamina's at 4,800. And Ben is still at zero. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, lakes and rivers and a mountain. Vampires and literature. The Alexander Files. Sound smart. On the label. And top of the pops with top in quotation marks. Uh, we had a triple stumper in that top of the pops category that was also a recent learnedly question mm-hmm. uh, in 1965 they topped the pops with i can't help myself and that's the four tops everyone forgets about the four tops i forgot about them <laughs> again again <laughs> is there do you do you understand why peroxide got a no instead of a be more specific no 
I don't, I do not know why it didn't get a be more specific. Okay. I mean, peroxide by itself should not be acceptable for hydrogen peroxide because there can be a lot of, you can, you can make basically any peroxide compa- compound. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was part of the correct answer. So I would assume that it is, I, I would think that it needed to be a be more specific. Mm-hmm. I did not know as many vampires in literature as I thought I would. I the only one I didn't know was the Alexander Dumas. I didn't know Alexander Dumas either, um, and I didn't know "Let the Right One In." Mm, classic. A Swedish suburb gets bloody in 18, in nineteen eighty one, and the girl next door seems different in this international bestseller that became a movie. Let the right one in. Yes. That was a fairly recent movie, right? No, it was not. Never mind. Not that recent. (laughs) It was recent recent. insofar as it came out after I graduated from college. (laughs) Which was recent. (laughs) And we don't need to talk about it more. Yep. (laughs) Um, That's distressing as the things that you think are recent start to be like 10 and then 20 years ago. Yeah, um, for for anybody who who does who is not up on their vampire lore, uh, vampires cannot enter a building without being invited. Mm-hmm. So you got to make sure, got to make sure you don't just invite everybody into your house. Mm-hmm. You got to let the right one in. Yeah, daily double number two is in the Alexander files at the sixteen hundred dollar level, and Steve finds it. It's the fourteenth pick. He has 11,400. Tamina and Ben are tied at 4,800. And Steve wagers 2,000, and he gets the clue. The second monarch of the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, Alexander I renamed the country this in 1929. And he gets it correct. It's Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. And Daily Double number three is the last pick in the round. It's on the label category at the $2,000 level. Steve also finds this one so he found all three in this game uh he's at fifteen thousand. tamina's at 3200 ben is at ten thousand, and he has he has the a dilemma here he chooses to wager five thousand uh so if he gets it right he will be exactly double ben and if he gets it wrong he'll be tied with ben mm-hmm. i don't know i think this is a that's a tough spot there are arguments to be made yeah either way like do you want to go for like a you know exact double or a tie or do you want to make it and like with it being the last clue of the round like that means that you are definitely going to be in a weird wagering position like either way right right yeah so it's but on the other hand do you want to bet enough to get a lock but also risk losing the lead going Mm -hmm. into final on a two thousand dollar clue i don't know so it's an interesting wager and an interesting situation he gets the clue Above Campbell's on tomato soup cans, this word meaning reduced to a compact form. And he gets it correct with what is condensed. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Steve is at 20,000, Ben is at 10,000. So this is a lock tie. Uh, Tamina is at 3,200. Uh, and we have the final Jeopardy category pairs in astronomy. And the clue discovered in 1877, they were named for siblings of the Greek god of love. Tamina responds what are eros and apollo that is not correct uh she's wagered everything so she drops down to zero ben figured it out he has what are phobos and demos he 
wagered 3000 um, That's not the correct wager for this situation. If you're in this position, you should go all in. That is pretty much your one and only chance of winning. And yeah. you should go for it. Uh, and Steve did not come up with the correct response. He has, what are Sagittarius? And if you're in Steve's position, you've got two choices here in this in a lock tie game. You can wager nothing. And if the other person misses or they don't go all in, then you win. And if they do go all in, you go to a tie and they get it right. You go to a tiebreaker or you can wager something. And if you get it right, you win. Yep. Steve decided to wager something. He did not get it right. However, since Ben did not go all in, Steve gets the win anyway. Yeah. In a, like, you know, kind of fully optimized situation. That's not, that's not what you would expect to see, but it's, it's not robots playing Jeopardy. It's humans. So with 19,999, Steve wins his second game. And so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Jin Soo an education nonprofit employee from Chicago, Illinois. Emily Fiasco, a middle school band director from St. Louis, Missouri. Woo! Can, can we just pause to think uh, what a great name it is, Fiasco, to have Fiasco as your last name? Like, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, man... Like, do you take ownership of that? Or, or, or did, like, yeah, what a name. Yeah. That's a, an uh-huh. interesting last name to have. And Steve Clark, a lawyer from Chesapeake, Virginia, whose two-day cash winnings are now $38,400. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, quoting the King James Bible, making money, real estate, R-E-E-L, Welsh folk, shores, which is horses anagrammed, which was fine. It was an anagram category. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I always have to kind of squint at the anagrams. Somehow squinting, like... It makes you smarter. Yeah. Makes the letters fuzzy. They're more willing to move around when they're a little fuzzy. That's right. Steve very impressively ran the quoting the King James Bible category. He did, yes. Yeah. Although... I will say I also got all of them. I mean, so so did I, but that's, you know, <laughs> at, 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 that's just kind of expected because it's me. I would hope a Bible expert would yeah. would get them. But yeah, he did run it all. He did run the whole category. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was impressive. I will agree. I, I had never heard, but I thought it was interesting uh, that there was there were special uh, bills. Uh, there's special currency printed for... Hawaii in 1942 in 1942 feels bad yeah (laughs) but yeah it's interesting yeah uh yeah that was that that was something I learned anyway uh daily double number one is in that quoting the King James Bible category at the thousand dollar level and Steve finds it at the fifth pick having just gotten the previous four of them correct so that's a quote running the previous four has given him 2000 uh and both of the other contestants are still at zero at this point uh he wagers everything and he gets the clue it's the entirety of john 1135 often acknowledged as the shortest verse in the bible and he knows that it is jesus wept yep so at the end of the 
Jeopardy round, Steve has a very solid lead with 10,400. Emily's at 3,600. Jinsu is at negative 200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, presidential globetrotting, plays and playwriting, Antarctica, hodgepodge, TV comedy, and word L. Each response will begin with the letter L. The hodgepodge was quite a hodgepodge. It was indeed. (laughs) We had airports, we had dog breeds, we had Starbucks drink sizes. Mm -hmm. It it was indeed a hodgepodge. A hodgepodge Paris, if you will. Don't start. (laughs) Don't you do this. We are 130 episodes into this thing. Oh my gosh. The presidential globetrotting category had a, a triple stumper at the $400 level. The clue is in 1947, Harry Truman made a visit to this capital city, meeting meeting with Governor General, General Alexander and Prime Minister Mackenzie King. Uh, Emily guessed what is Canberra, which is Australia, which I believe Australia does have a Governor General and a Prime Minister. Not a bad guess, but uh, mm-hmm. nobody else tried for Ottawa, which Canada also has a <laughs> Governor General and a Prime Minister, so... Remember that both of those exist. I know it's hard to remember Canada. Believe me. Uh, Daily Double number two is in that presidential globetrotting category. Down two clues at the $1,200 level. It's pick number nine, and Steve finds it. Uh, He's found a lot of the Daily Doubles in his games. He's at 12,000. Emily is at 6,400. Jinsu is at 1,800. And he wagers 2,500. I, again think he could have gone more he's got a lot of wiggle room over emily but mm. he was just 2500 gets a clue he made goodwill visits to 10 latin american countries as president-elect in late 1928 but never left the country as president and he gets correct with who's hoover mm-hmm. and uh daily double number three is in plays and playwriting uh emily finds it at the second to last pick it's the 29th pick of the round at the 1600 dollar level she has 16,000 with Steve at 17,700 and Jinsu at negative 200. She wagers 2,000. She's trying to take the lead and gets the clue. The courtroom drama night of January 16th by Ayn Rand needs exactly this many people to be selected from the audience. She guesses nine, um, but uh, the correct response here is 12, 12 people to make up the jury. I wonder if nine came to mind because of the Supreme Court. I, that's the only thing that I could think of as to putting nine in a courtroom. Yeah. Uh, so she drops down. That was She was, you know, getting close to the lead there, but that means that going into Final Jeopardy, Steve is at 17,700, Emily is at 1,400, and Jinsu is in the red at negative 200, so he does not play Final. We get the category State Mottos, and the clue, this motto, is the name of a city in that state, and is a famous quote by an ancient Greek from the 3rd century BC. Emily got it correct with what is Eureka from Archimedes. Mm -hmm. Determining displacement, I guess. It's a weird story. Yeah. Uh, But also for uh, California, which I always forget that's California's motto. It's weird to me. Anyway, she wagered everything which from second place is not the advisable strategy, Mm -mm. but she got it right. So she doubled up and Steve uh, made a cover bet of 10,301 and wrote, what is Corpus Christi? Pretty, pretty sure that's Latin. Yeah. 
and also would have come after ancient wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense in in, in, third century century bc BC. yeah uh but i mean it's something it's better than nothing yep something is always better than nothing and so he uh so he finishes in second place Mm Hmm. and that brings us to thursday where we have the contestants Anjali Bott, a lawyer from New York, New York, Mark Premiano, a shelter veterinarian from Chicago, Illinois, and Emily Fiasco, a middle school band director from St. Louis, Missouri, whose one-day cash winnings totaled 28000 I mean, I just got to say, if you're going to be a middle school band director, <laughs> having, having lived experience <laughs> with that role, I would say Fiasco is an appropriate word for that. Yeah. She prob- I'm sure she does much better with it than I did. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were great. <laughs> Thank you for that vote of confidence. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> I do not share it. But we get the Jeopardy categories, the Founding Fathers, Earth, TV shows by episode title, Units of Measure, Terrible Supervillain Names, and That's Cold. The TV shows that they chose for TV shows by episode title were great shows. Favorite. I was, so was going to say they are exactly your shows. They are exactly my shows. I, I was, Buffy. I was like, if they put Buffy the Vampire Slayer at the thousand dollar level, then I'm going to really know that they wrote this category specifically for me. Yep. But they didn't. It was Gossip Girl, which I have heard is a good show, but I haven't actually watched it very much. Have you? No. <laughs> the, the incredulity. I have. I have absolutely no interest in shows like that. Mm. I'm sure they're. I'm sure they're entertaining. I just don't care. Those That's kinds fair. of stories do not intrigue me at all. Literally, the fact that gossip is in the title, I'm like, I have. Mm-hmm. I have less than zero interest in that. I have negative interest in that. Yeah. Um, I think I. I think I made a joke maybe last week or the week before about like everyone's favorite. Well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Frankenstein's monster, and at the six hundred dollar level of Earth, we had everyone's second favorite. Well, actually, mm-hmm. uh, this liquid beneath the Earth's surface is different in Hawaii. It has more molten rock and fewer gases and fragments. Anjali tried what is lava, but well, actually, actually, well, actually, when it is beneath the Earth's surface, it is magma. And uh, Mark, Mark knew that one. Magma. <laughs> Liquid hot magma. <laughs> um, does it matter at all? It does not. No. Unless you are a volcanologist. Right. If you are a scientist who deals with it, it matters. Everyone else, both would kill you. Like, I, it absolutely does not matter. Yeah. <laughs> I had an issue in the Founding Fathers category. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, at the $400 level, cheers to this Harvard grad, a second cousin of the second president. And Mark rang, rang in and said, who is Adams? Which one? <laughs> right. Which they, which was accepted. And Mayim followed up with, yes, Samuel Adams. Should like, have gotten to be more specific. Uh, 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 there are lots of Adams. <laughs> Gomez Adams? We don't know who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Especially since I had to define which Kennedy was President. The one who was the, the president, only president Alex. Kennedy. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, I felt I felt for Mark and Anjali and the uh, terrible supervillain names when they were supposed to name the insurance duo the big cost you owe before your insurer 
insurer kicks in and the money given to your doc as you get services. Mark tried what are premium and copay. Anjali tried what are premium and deductible. And Emily didn't try and get in on that. Uh, Mark and Anjali both had half of the correct response. Uh, so if Emily had tried triangulating back from that, she would have gotten it. Um, it's copay and deductible. Although we do see people try that and like have it go wrong, right? Like, yeah. If if both of the other contestants are like wildly off base, then like combining their two answers doesn't get you to the correct answer. But this was one of those times when it would have. Yeah. So daily double number one is in the founding fathers category at six hundred dollar level. It's pick number thirteen. Anjali finds it. She's at 400. Emily's at 1400. Mark is at 3000. She wagers just 400, not the, not the full thousand. And we get to clue activist lawyer James Otis is credited with saying that this without representation is tyranny. And she gets it correct with what is taxation. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Emily is at 5400. Mark is at 4000. And Anjali is at 2200. And we get the double jeopardy categories, river names, literary castles, romance languages, the winds of pop culture, I know what you did, and four of the same letter. Very recently, you were talking about the author of 101 Dalmatians. I was. I was. Yeah. yeah. $2,000 um, level of literary castles. Yeah, that one. The the clue referenced um, another work by her, I Capture the Castle. Uh, the author in question is Dodie Smith. Yeah, that literary castles category was was good. Famil- no, but by good, I mean it was it was largely familiar to me. Yeah, and I enjoyed. It. I mean, they were they were they were decent questions and a good mix. Yeah, um, got some C.S. Lewis in there with uh, of wanting to know the antagonist who lives in a castle full of stone statues. We had the Pilgrim's Progress. At Hogwarts. And anytime Jeopardy writers can get Kafka in there, they're going to get Kafka. Oh, yeah. All right. Daily Double number two is in I Know What You Did at the $1,600 level. And Emily finds it as the 13th pick. She has 9400 to Mark's 5600 and Anjali is 5400 She wagers 3000 and gets the clue... You served as Archbishop of Cape Town from 1986 to 1996. And that is Desmond Tutu. She gets it correct. Mm-hmm. And then we had, we ended up having a reversal in the river names category at the $800 level. Um, the clue is in Sanskrit, the name of this river comes from Sindhu, which means river. Uh, Emily guessed what is the Ganges. Uh, Anjali guessed what is the Sindh. And they were looking for the Indus. And, they, and so they ruled her incorrect uh, on Jolly, but they, uh, before Final Jeopardy, fixed that because apparently the Sindh is part of the Indus River, or it is, I'm, I'm not sure, I, I didn't really look, at, look into it, it's part of it, or it is synonymous with the Indus, mm, and, okay. and she seems to have more knowledge than perhaps the writers or judges did <laughs> yeah uh in 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 that so uh and just below that we get daily double number three it's at the 1200 level pick number 28 emily gets this one as well although if anjali had been ruled correct she probably would have gotten it 
Emily's at 16,000, Mark's at 8,000, and Anjali is at 9,400 at that point. Uh, she wagers 2,000, which I, I'm okay with because this could get her into a potential lock position uh, without a huge wager. She gets a clue, this river that gave its name to a Georgia city was known as Rio Dulce, or Sweet River, to early Spanish explorers. And she guesses, what is the Chattahoochee? Because it's fun to say. Uh, but that <laughs> it is the Savannah mm-hmm. River. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Emily's at 14,000. Mark is at 8,000. Anjali is at 12,600. And we have the final Jeopardy category, the 20th century. And the clue, maybe surprisingly, in 1918, this new leader was the first to recognize the independence of Finland. Mark responded, who is Lenin? That is correct. He wagered 7,500, bringing him up to 15,500. Anjali tried, who is Stalin? She wagered, uh, that's not correct, and she wagered everything, which is not the ideal move from uh, from second place in this, in this situation. Uh, that drops her down to zero. And Emily got it correct with, who is Lenin? And with a cover bet of 11,201, she gets 25,201 as her total and wins a second game. Hey, I'm rooting for the band teacher. Yeah, understandably so. And on Friday, we have the contestants Anmal Sinho, a tech salesperson from San Diego, California, Christopher Arns, a teacher from Fair Oaks, California, and Emily Fiasco. A middle yes, school good. band director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this as long as she keeps winning. As long as she's winning. A middle school band director from St. Louis, Missouri, whose two-day cash winnings total $53,201. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. U.S. places, everybody. Musicians' real names. Let's talk about Bite Club. 4-4. Four, four. Each response is made up of two four-letter words. Ice cream and novelties with T in quotation marks. The $200 level of novelties was Huck Finn was introduced in this novel. Christopher got it. That's The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Are they putting the T on the? I guess. Because that feels, feels a bit like a stretch when there are an awful lot of novels that start with the letter T. Right. You could have you... picked a different one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they were expecting Tom Sawyer, although that wouldn't really be correct. I guess no. they must be expecting the T. Like, they must be thinking of the the article. Yeah, the, which thought was strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now my brain is envisioning a everything starts with T category where every single T is from the word the. the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that would be so good. Yeah. McGruff, the crime dog, is back. I don't know if he's come up since we played Jeopardy. He probably has. Let's see. Is the search function working on J-Archive today? McGruff came up at least two times between the time it came up on uh, on our episode and uh, and this episode. Mm-hmm. But apparently now, McGruff talks about senior fraud and identity theft. <laughs> Somebody needs to deal with the senior fraud, because oh boy. <laughs> Ugh. Well, you know, 
Nothing nothing makes McGruff a more exciting mascot than talking about identity theft. And how to train your grandparents to not answer every phone call. Oh my god. <laughs> it's the sigh of a of a pastor in the year 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants I mean, people do want gift cards, but like Whenever, I mean, I don't know, anyone who's listening to this knows how to download a podcast, but like, make sure that your your uh, less tech savvy uh, loved ones know that if somebody has a story about why you absolutely must get them a gift card. They're lying. They Yes. You just, you want to get them on the phone and hear their voice say it to you. Yep. Oh, do you think that they were... Um, Referencing us at the $400 level of 4-4. Yes. Yeah. Want to get to the bottom of an issue? Take one of these. No scuba gear necessary. Christopher got it. That's a deep dive and the only explanation possible. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we made up that term, so. We did. Yes. We definitely didn't use it Mm -hmm. because it is common parlance. Yeah. But I think between that and the Raven Puri. (laughs) <laughs> and McGruff showing up again. I mean, you know, yep. it, there are coincidences and then there's what's happening here. How do you usually pronounce P-A-L-L-M-A-L-L? Palmall. Okay. How do you pronounce it? I have heard it pronounced Pelmel, which I had heard was kind of like a British ism. Uh, which I, I thought Pellmell was something different than Paul Mall. Oh. I could be wrong, though. Hmm. I mean, I've never been wrong before, but I could be wrong. The street is pronounced, I don't know, Palmal. <laughs> no, that, I don't care what we're talking about. That That's, can't be I'm, right. I'm, <laughs> I am reading something off the internet, and as you know, the internet is never incorrect. Um, no, this is like this is like a some this is some random forum thread from 2014 where people are talking. Uh, yeah, but here's here's a reference to somebody pronouncing it pell mell. Okay, so I I don't know. I think probably probably Paul Mall is correct. Oh, a 1950s cigarette commercial we found on YouTube confirms the brand is pronounced pell mell. Okay. I am. I don't know. All right. This is this is a strange one this, and not our deep dive topic. No, okay. But it seems like it could be. Anyway, I I don't I don't really know how you're supposed to pronounce that. I just know that there are other people confused on the internet. So that that's uh that's reassuring, I guess. I guess. Uh I mean, like I had it in my brain that it looks like it's obviously pronounced Paul Mall, but like I like but it it may not be. And so, like... That's that's fair, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm reassured that I didn't just make it up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I should take us to the Daily Double. Um, we find Daily Double number one in novelties at the $600 level. At the 19th pick, Emily finds this one. Uh, she has 3200 to Christopher's 2600 and Animal's 1000 She wagers 2000 and gets the clue. The nameless narrator of this... Wells's first novel finds himself in the year 802,701. And uh, she takes a second with this one, but she gets it. It's the time machine. The T, of course, 
here comes in in V. The. <laughs> and also time machine. Or time, I guess. Yes. But, 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 but really, that's that's irrelevant because it's already, you know, it's already started with a T yeah. because there's a the right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Emily's at 5,000. Christopher's uh, taking the lead. He's at 5,200. Anmal is at negative 600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Mexican history, model behavior, world of opera, Ovid, you will get better here, and ends with I. What did you think of the world of opera category? I I appreciated that it was it was not the most common ones. Mm, yeah. I, I thought that, that they were still fairly gettable, which was good. But like the opera Dead Man Walking, probably no one has seen that one. Mm-hmm. But it tells you about uh, Angola Penitentiary in, mm-hmm. in what state. Yeah. Akhenaten by Philip Glass. <clears throat> Again, probably not one that people have necessarily seen or heard, but... It's a, you know, it's a good one to know. And then the, the higher level ones are more, were actually more like of the classics. Mm-hmm. Singer von Nuremberg was Wagner and Ariadne of Naxos. You need for, you know, get from the Greek mythology. But overall, uh, I, th- I really actually did enjoy that. Yeah. As a, as an opera category, it wasn't just like, here's a Mozart, here's a Verdi, here's a, you know, the same questions over and over again. Mm-hmm. Emily ran the ends with I category. Mm. Uh, she had an extremely strong round. Yeah. <laughs> just super strong. Uh, the other two barely got in. She just. I'm going over to the box score to see what was going on. Uh, Christopher got two clues correct. Oof. In this round. Oof. Anmal got a handful um, there were some triple stumpers, but Emily got the vast majority of correct responses. Yeah. Um, Emily did attempt twice, almost twice as many responses. Like, she she buzzed in twice as many times mm-hmm. as Christopher or Anmal. Which will get you the it correct will, answers. Yes. Uh, yeah, she made, <laughs> she made 19 attempts. Christopher and Anmal both attempted to buzz in 10 times. Wow. So whether it's like a board that's more suited to her strengths or just, you know, like feel feel it, you know, be, being a little bit more open to risking uh, a wrong response. I don't know. Um, yeah. 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 But that's 17 correct answers, zero incorrect answers. That's yeah. It's, it's a great round. Pretty for her. good. It is. We have Daily Double number two in the Ovid category at the $800 level. It's the second pick of the round. Uh, Anmal finds it. He got the first clue, uh, the one above it. So scores are pretty much the same as they were at the end of the round. Um, He's at negative 200, though, and he wagers 2,000. He gets a clue. In this fittingly titled Ovid work, Ascalaphus is punished by being transformed into an owl. And man, this is is Mm, just like a... Yeah. Like a, oh, Jeopardy writers, you're so tricky. Uh, he says, what is metamorphosis? But it is metamorphoses. Yep. Really got him there. Uh, I really felt for him on that one. Yeah, that was a tough one. Yeah. 
And Daily Double number three is in the World of Opera category at the $1,600 level. And Emily finds this one as the 12th pick. She has 8200 to Christopher's 4800 and on Mall's 600 She wagers 4000 um, and gets the clue. Nabucco, based on the life of Nebuchadnezzar, features a scene in this city's gardens. And she gets it correct. It's Babylon. Which I guess I did. That is a Verdi opera. Yeah. I guess I. I guess they did have Verdi in there. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Emily has gotten herself in quite a locked position at twenty nine thousand. Christopher's at twenty four hundred, and Anmol has had a pretty good turnaround at the end of the round. He's up to fifty eight hundred. They have the final Jeopardy category more than one meaning, and the clue its definitions include containing the metallic element number twenty two, pertaining to a group of Greek gods, and having great strength or size. Uh, Christopher bet a dollar, and wrote what is mighty. That is incorrect, so he loses a dollar. Anmol wagered two dollars and wrote what is titanic which is correct dealing with titanium and other things um and he wagered two dollars and emily also got it correct with what is titanic and she wagered five thousand man i i know the temptation is like well if i get it wrong i still win twenty four thousand dollars you had like fifteen sixteen seventeen thousand dollars to play with there Mm -hmm. she could have oh she could have opened it up yeah but that's okay that's okay. <laughs> she yeah. still wins $34,000. That's still that's a not good... a small amount of money. No. No, it is not. <laughs> and she's going on to next week. It's a very impressive game. Mm-hmm. So this is the end of the week, and this is when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It is at patreon.com slash potentpotables. Uh, you can go there to support us financially if you are so inclined. Slide us a few bucks. You can find some exclusive content on there for our patrons. And it just helps us out to, you know, keep keep us even in terms of uh, running the podcast. And, of course, we like to remind you of many social causes that uh, we think are important, and hopefully you do too, uh, if you choose to send your money that way. Most recently, we are pointing you toward uh, abortionfunds.org. But of course, there are other important causes, too, that we have in the show notes. Uh, So we encourage you to look there as well. Absolutely. Emily, what are your deep dive guesses? Um, Okay. Uh, Are we talking about Porfirio Diaz? We are not talking about Porfirio Diaz. Okay. Are we talking about Vostok or like the Russian space program? We are not. It was tempting. I thought, I, I about thought it, it, like, it would done, be. I've done Apollo. We could, we could do the do the Russian space program, but I, nah. All right. Are we talking about the Karakoram mountain range? We are not talking about Karakoram. We are going all the way back to Monday, and actually kind of a conversation we had. The Monday game in the writer-wronger category at the $1,600 level. Known for his wildly graphic writing, kidnapping, and other horrific excesses, he was transferred to the Bastille in February 1784. So we we, we talked about, like, you mentioned, like, maybe people were a bit reticent to ring in because, like, 
oh, you know the Marquis de Sade? How do you know? <laughs> um, and that kind of made me realize, like, actually, I really don't know much about the Marquis de Sade. I have not looked into it, probably for, like, similar reason. So I figured, you know what, I should probably actually know a little bit about the Marquis de Sade. Because, like, I know he was in prison, obviously the clue says so. And I know he wrote some naughty stuff. And I thought, really, that was it. Turns out that's not that's Ooh, not it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Great. I I don't actually know very much about the Marquis de Sade. Okay. Good. Uh, so we will we will learn some. Okay. So obviously, like de Sade is the family name, or like the title Marquis de Sade. This particular Marquis de Sade, uh, his 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 full name is Donation Alphonse Francois Marquis de Sade. Um, he was born on the 2nd of June, 1740, and died on the 2nd of December, 1814. Uh, he was a nobleman, obviously. Uh, he was a marquis. And also a revolutionary politician, philosopher, and writer. And as as we probably know, he is famous for his uh, depictions of libertine sexuality. He wrote novels, short stories, plays, dialogues, and uh, political treatises. And some of these were published under his name in his lifetime, and others were uh, anonymous, but still attributed to him within his lifetime, which we'll we'll talk about. Uh, he wrote, obviously, uh, very erotic works, which were kind of like, they, they kind of waffled back and forth between like very intense erotic scenes, and then philosophical discourse, and like, just like, you know, essays on morality or whatever, <laughs> followed by another intensely erotic uh passage the word sadism and sadist are derived from his name the mm-hmm. sod and they are of course in reference to works of fiction in which he portrays numerous acts of sexual cruelty uh, he was a proponent of free public brothels paid for by the state which he brought up later uh, after the revolution he proposed that the government pay for public brothels uh, in order to prevent crimes in society that were motivated by lust hmm. and to reduce the desire to or, or or reduce the desire to oppress others using one's power. Right. Because his idea was if you can go to a brothel and hire someone to do whatever you tell them to do, you're not going to you're going to you're going to, you know, be satisfied in that way. Mm. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true, but that was his perspective. Yeah. As well as, you know, a, a variety of other statements on philo- on philosophy and politics. He was actually kind of a socialist, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, later on, too. Uh, so he was born to Jean-Baptiste Francois Joseph, Count de Sade, and uh, Marie-Eleonore de Maille de Carmen. He was his parents' only surviving child. His family were soon abandoned by his father, and he was raised by servants who supposedly indulged his every whim. He was a spoiled and rebellious child with a big temper. He, at a young age, was sent to live under the instruction of his uncle, who introduced him to debauchery. And uh, shortly after that... As uncles do... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, I guess. Uh, I did not. I don't know really uh, what that know. means, but I can imagine. Uh, shortly after that, his mother uh, went to join a convent, so he was basically orphaned. He went to the Lycée Louis de Le Grand in Paris, a Jesuit college for four years, 
And while he was there, he uh, was subjected to severe corporal punishment, including flagellation. And uh, supposedly that created uh, something of an obsession for him with that particular violent act throughout his life. Uh, He went to a military academy at age 14. And at the age of 15, he was commissioned as a sub-lieutenant in the French army. He was raised to the rank of cornet uh, after about a year and eventually became colonel of a dragoon regiment and fought in the Seven Years' War. Uh, And he returned from the war in 1763, uh, at which time he courted a rich magistrate's daughter, but uh, her father rejected his suitorship and arranged a marriage with his eldest daughter, uh, René Pelagie de Montreal. They had two sons and a daughter. And in 1766, he, he added a private theater to his castle, the Chateau de la Coste in Provence. So that's like his early life. And we'll all get to his scandals and imprisonment. As his writings suggest, he did live a rather uh, libertine lifestyle, often procuring young prostitutes uh, of both sexes and other employees in his castle in Lacoste. He was also accused of blasphemy on more than one occasion, which led to some criminal charges. And he uh, had an affair with his wife's sister, Anne Prosper, mm. who had come to live at the castle. Now, of course, his wife's sister was the person that he was originally courting in the first place. Uh, so he obviously had a thing for her. On, on the 18th of October, 1763, uh, he procured the services of a Parisian prostitute named Jean Testard for the purpose of sodomy, which was refused. He then locked her in his apartment room and asked her if she believed in God. She said she did, and he proceeded to shout various obscenities and impieties concerning Jesus and the Virgin Mary. And he did some other stuff, which I'm not going to mention because we do consider this a uh, a family podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, needless to say, he... Uh, he desecrated some seemingly holy symbols mm. and exclaimed more blasphemies. And before he ordered her to beat him with a cane whip and an iron whip, which had been heated by the fire. He also forced Testard to do some profane uh, blasphemous things as well. Following the incident, she reported Saad to the authorities and he was arrested on the 29th of October. He was held for 15 days in Vincennes. After several contrite letters, he expressed his remorse and begged to see a priest, so the king ordered his release uh, in November. In September 16, or 1764, he returned to Paris and developed a bad reputation, which prompted the chief police inspector to advise local madames that their prostitutes should not accompany him to his countryside residence. So, very real life, he was this way. Not just it wasn't just like a, a you know a tame dude writing some stuff. On the third of April, seventeen sixty eight, he encountered the thirty six year old German widow named Rose Keller at the Place de Victoire, telling her that he required house services, which included cleaning his bedroom, and she came to his country residence in Arcueil. 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 How is it spelled? Is it like a like A R C U E I L? Arcoy. Arcoy. Okay. Uh, and he locked her up and held her captive. He treated her poorly, including flagellation and bondage. She escaped through a window, 
and informed nearby local authorities, uh, and he was arrested in June of that year. He was briefly incarcerated at the Chateau de Saumur, and then he was exiled to his chateau in Lacoste. And he bribed Keller to drop the charges, which is super cool. Mm. In 1772, he procured four prostitutes with the aid of his manservant Latour, and there was whipping and requests to be whipped. Uh, there were various acts which were considered immoral and illegal at the time after the initial orgy he offered them chocolates laced with an aphrodisiac in hopes that the chocolate would allow him to fulfill certain fantasies that they had denied originally uh the young women were suspicious and they grew sick and they uh they managed to get away and alert authorities uh the two men uh the marquis and latour were sentenced to death in absentia and charged with sodomy, attempted poisoning, and outrage to the country's morals. So this is the first time that he fled to Italy, taking his wife's sister <laughs> with him. Mm. However, they the two men were caught uh, with the help of Saad's mother-in-law and imprisoned at the fortress of Milan in 1772. But they escaped four months later and went back and hid at Lacoste. He rejoined his wife, who became an accomplice in subsequent endeavors, which is like, come on. Come on. This whole Mm -hmm. time he's been, like, treating you so bad, and now you're going to help him? This included more, you know, hiring of prostitutes and orgies, and uh, he actually enacted a series of theatrical sexual performances in the theater at Lacoste with various uh, employees that he had hired, teenage employees, Uh, By January of 1775, the servant's parents began to make complaints that he had abducted and seduced their children. So, again, after this, (laughs) authorities came after him and he was forced to flee to Italy, following accusations of kidnapping and rape. During this time, he wrote his Voyage d'Italie. And uh, in 1776, he returned to Lacoste and tried it again. Like, (laughs) he he just couldn't couldn't stop he was tricked to going into paris later that year uh and he was imprisoned at the chateau de vincennes he successfully appealed his death sentence in 1778 but he remained imprisoned under a a lettre de cachet which Mm. is like a french like the, the king's a king's letter basically saying uh i don't really have a legal reason for it but this is my decree um he escaped but was soon recaptured and uh remained in prison for quite a while. In 1784, Vincennes was closed and he was transferred to the Bastille, as we talked about. Uh, The following year, he wrote the manuscript for uh, his magnum opus, The 120 Days of Sodom. And he wrote it on like a continuous roll of paper that was tightly rolled and kept in a like a hole in his cell wall to hide. Uh, He never finished it. Um, We have some chapters written and some other notes written. On the 4th of July, 1789, he was transferred to the insane asylum at Charenton. And it was just a mere 10 days before the storming of the Bastille. So he he missed it by that much. He believed the manuscript had been destroyed during the storming of the Bastille, but it was actually saved by a man named Arnaud de Saint-Maximin. And nobody knows why this guy brought the manuscript to safety and nobody knows anything else about him. (laughs) He's just like a guy who rescued this weird piece of paper from the from from the bastille in 1790 he was released from sherrington after the new constituent assembly uh, abolished the 
lettre de cachet. Um, but his wife divorced him soon afterward, which mm. finally, are you kidding me? <laughs> Beginning in 1790, he published several of his books anonymously. He also met uh, Marie-Constant Kesnet, a former actor or actress uh, who had a six-year-old son and had been abandoned by her husband. Uh, they stayed together for the rest of his life. And he adapted quickly to the new political order. Uh, he supported the Republic. He called himself Citizen Saad, and he actually obtained some uh, official positions, despite his aristocratic background. He moved to Paris in 1790. He was elected to the National Convention, where he represented the far left. He was a particularly radical politician. As, as I mentioned, he was actually uh, kind of a socialist. He wrote several political pamphlets. Uh, he called for the implementation of direct vote. And he also was kind of opposed to the general idea of private ownership of property, which was really interesting. Like, it, he's, he's a strange person. Yeah. However, he did face some abuse from fellow revolutionaries because of his background. Uh, also, his son deserted from the military in 1792. And so he had, to, uh, he had to disavow his son in order to, like, save face. He claimed that to be opposed to the Reign of Terror in 1793 and became publicly critical of Maximilien Robespierre. Uh, he was removed from his post, accused of moderatism, and then imprisoned for almost a year. He was released in 1794. And by 1796, he had to sell his ruined castle in Lacoste. Uh, by 1801, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, ordered the arrest of the anonymous authors of the libertine novels Justine and Juliette, uh, which everyone knew was the Marquis de Sade, uh, even though he denied it. Sade was arrested, arrested at his publisher's office and imprisoned without a trial. He was first imprisoned at the St. Pelagie prison, and following allegations that he had tried to seduce young fellow prisoners, he was moved to the Bicetra Asylum. <laughs> he just just can't get enough man <laughs> like i don't this guy um he was declared insane in 1803 uh after some help from his family and moved again to sherrington his ex-wife and children had paid for him to be there and constance uh came and lived with him uh she pretended to be a relative during his time there the director of the institution abbe de colmier allowed and encouraged him to stage several of his plays with the inmates as actors to be viewed by the Parisian public. Uh, some people thought that his approach to psychotherapy was a little bit uh, unorthodox and not great. Uh, in 1809, new police orders put him put Desaad into solitary confinement and took away his pens and paper, uh, and then Colmier was suspended uh, a couple years later. He had left instructions in his will uh, forbidding that his body be opened for any reason whatsoever, and that it remain untouched for 48 hours in the chamber in which he had dies, died, and then placed in a coffin and buried on his property uh, located near Epernon. These instructions were not followed. He was buried at Sherrington. Uh, he died in 1814, while still at Sherrington. His skull was later removed from the grave for phrenological examination, of course. And his son had all of his remaining unpublished manuscripts burned, including the immense multi-volume work, uh, The Journey, Le Journées de Florbel. So after, you know, obviously he was a divisive figure, and uh, the men of the Saad family 
after him, or really all the members of the, the Saad family, regarded his life and work as a scandal to be suppressed hmm. up in, up until the mid-20th century when uh, Comte Xavier de Saad reclaimed the Marquis title and took an interest in the writings. In fact, Xavier de Saad only learned of him in the late 1940s when approached by a journalist. He didn't even learn about him from his own family. Uh, he discovered a store of Saad's papers in the family chateau at Conde Ambrie and uh, worked on their publication. And so since then, the family has actually sort of embraced his his literature. They have they have brought his his written works back to uh, public attention. Um, however, hopefully not necessarily celebrating his uh, his actions. Yeah. So his uh, obviously his his writings were very concerned with sexuality and uh, have influenced a, a number of writers after him, including Jeffrey Gorer, Charles Baudelaire, Gustave Flaubert, uh, Rachild, Algernon, Charles Swinburne. Um, a variety of of people uh, who came after were, were pretty strongly influenced by his, uh, you know, erotic writings. Um, but also, not all of his writing was, like, strictly erotic. Even, even the, the Libertine uh, novels had, like I said, philosophy and politics woven into them. And uh, in some ways, his writing was seen as a predecessor to nihilism and thus potentially an influence on Nietzsche. He was critical of the of gothic fiction, which was the style of the time. He felt that it relied too heavily on magic and phantasmagoria. And so his, which, yeah. And so his writing, uh, he, he can, he, he may have, we we get the impression from his like personal letters that he viewed his writing as a more genuine way of reflecting the human condition and experience, um, because it did not include the supernatural elements that were that he felt kind of like bogged down gothic fiction hmm. so i mentioned i mentioned a, a couple of his works uh the, the the main ones like his the main like libertine novels to know are uh justine which is about a um, virtuous young catholic woman named justine who attempts to live a virtuous life and is abused throughout her rather tragic life so it goes between scenes of her you know either giving into temptation or being you know uh, harmed by other people and then her reflections on that to more scenes of abuse to her reflections until eventually she dies she is killed the kind of sister book to that juliette is about justine's sister uh who on the other hand lives a life of impropriety and you know sin and is rewarded at every turn mm. <laughs> it's meant to be you know ironic and and tongue-in-cheek and everything uh but also very clearly showed his perspective uh on the world and then there's uh, 120 days of sodom which is a story about four libertine noblemen who in the winter months choose to try to uh, essentially like create the most hedonistic experience possible. And they go off to a chateau in the mountains, bringing with them like 36 
prostitutes or something. And over the course of four months, they uh, engage in more and more extreme and debauched behavior uh, until eventually, at the end of the, the, the winter, they emerge ha- having, I think, if I understand correctly, slaughtered everyone else by the end of the book. Uh, so it's it's not it's not happy reading. Um, and those are those are kind of his like most famous works. Uh, I'm not going to go into the other ones, but um, like I said, he also wrote political treatises and and uh, shorter works and, and things like that. But yeah, that's the Marquis. Yeah. All right. I I really did not know very much of that, or that there was this much. I mean, I kind of purposely haven't looked into it because I I don't know. There's there's you know taboo around it, right? Yeah. So I just assumed that he was a guy who wrote some naughty stuff. Uh huh. But he was like you know he was a nobleman, so I was like, well, he probably was kind of you know boring, but yeah. apparently not. Oh, also he has uh, a book called Philosophy in the Bedroom, which is a dramatic dialogue. A dramatic dialogue called Philosophy, called Philosophy in, in the, the Bedroom. bedroom. Yes. Mm. So there you go. So uh, I hope that at least gave you a little bit more context for the Marquis de Sade. It, it sure did. So thank you. Um, you're welcome. Let's do a quiz. All right. Let's do a quiz. Uh, when I started writing this quiz, I was like, oh, man, what, if, what do I ask about? Yeah, I, <laughs> I've, been sort of, I've been sort of wondering what direction you were going to take the quiz for a while now. Uh, I managed to. I think I. I think I got some. Some. It might be a. It might skew a little hard, just because I had a hard time kind of picking, like coming up with things to ask about. Okay. We'll see. Uh, question one: The Marquis de Sade's main resident wa- residence was his Chateau de Lacoste. Uh, Lacoste is also the name of a modern clothing brand. Rene Lacoste, the company's founder, earned two nicknames, both after sim- similar animals. Name either animal or nickname and i can give you a hint okay i think should i take the hint should i just go with my guess i'm gonna go with my guess i think that the lacoste shirts have an alligator on them so i'm gonna say like i'm gonna say alligator or like a crocodile uh, alligator or crocodile oh no wait hold on all right give me the hint one nickname came from the american press uh because he once wagered a suitcase made out of the skin of that kind of animal on his winning a tennis match, and the other was from the French public for his tenacity on the uh, tennis court. And you can just name either one. Okay. All right. Two two similar animals. The simil- oh, it's similar animals. Okay. All right. Then I'm going to say alligator and hope that they're alligator and crocodile. It, they are alligator and crocodile. He, he once bet an alligator skin suitcase. On the like that, he would win a tennis match, I guess, and so the American press started calling him the alligator. Nice. Is it an alligator or a crocodile that's on the shirt? Do you know? I think it's a crocodile. I don't know. Okay. I th- or it is an alligator. I truly don't know. I couldn't even when I was looking at. it, I was like, wait. So like looking at the information and the explanation of like where it comes from. I'm like, so mm-hmm. so wait, is it an alligator? Are you saying it's an alligator? I think it's an alligator, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> Um, anyway, you got it. Nice. Ten points. Nice. Yay. Question two. 
Venus in Furs is a novel from 1870 which depicts a main character who is so infatuated with a woman that he asks to be her slave and encourages her to treat him in increasingly more degrading ways. This work demonstrates a term which came from the author's name and is often paired with sadism. What is that term? Often paired with sadism, I'm going to guess it's masochism. Is masochism, which I learned, comes from Leopold von Sacher Masek, huh. who was uh, a novelist, an Austrian nobleman, writer, and journalist. And the term masochism was coined by uh, a contemporary psychiatrist. Sacher Masek did not approve of his name being used for that term, but <laughs> it stuck. Yeah, in in his book venus and furs it like very clearly demonstrates the idea of masochism mm-hmm. and it, and uh that that psychiatrist i believe named it like the psychopathy of masochism we have i think we've since kind of like backed off of the idea that it is like you know a pathology and more just a preference yeah i i had no idea it was from a person i knew sadism was from a person's name but somehow i had assumed that masochism like was from like some german root word or something you know yeah so it it was it was just like you know yeah linguistically developed rather than just like oh yeah it's a dude's name too yeah but it is i also didn't know nice so you were at 20 points question three s and m in the naughty sense refers to sadism and masochism Often, they are paired together in special time for partners. However, a rather enjoyable live album from 1999 is also titled S&M. It was recorded in concert at the Berkeley Community Theater. The letters S and M stand for the two musical groups that collaborated for the performance. It was an uncommon combination, but has been done more since then. For five points each, which two groups were featured? One had... Michael Kamen giving the beat. The other had Lars Ulrich. I have no idea. And recognize the second name, but can't place it. And I didn't recognize the first name. I'm not surprised about the first name. Okay. I also was like, oh, I did not know that was... This one I figured would be pretty hard. It's hard. I think I'm going to make the MV for Metallica. I don't. Okay. I don't know if that's correct. That is five points. Uh, oh, hey, um, and the S. I have no idea. <laughs> I will say the S. If it's just one S, it's less the name of a group and more the type of. Group. Okay, I was. I was like about to say this as a joke, but now I'm not entirely sure it's wrong. What about Symphony? It is symphony. Yay! Yes. It is the San Francisco Symphony and Metallica. The S in this case is for San Francisco. I have no I mean, <laughs> except SF and M doesn't really make a lot of sense, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. um, nice, nice job. Hey, you got hey. it. For a hard quiz, this is going fairly well so far. Good. Yes. Uh, and I'm not a huge fan of Metallica, but when paired with a symphony orchestra, that's a good album. Yeah, That's a really that good up. album. It's enjoyable. It is a live album, so some of the recording quality is like a little eh, but yeah. it's good. All right. Uh, question four. 
Erotic writing has been around for as long as people have been writing. A recent erotic literature phenomenon was Fifty Shades of Grey and its sequels. Fifty Shades of Grey began life as a fan fiction, thus its main characters, Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey, are based on what other fictitious characters? Bella Swan and Edward Cullen from Twilight. Yes. <laughs> and I... I know that, like, you know, people can read what they read and like what they like. I, I still feel a very strong urge to tell our listeners that I have never read Fifty Shades of Grey and I had to look up the character names. Mm-hmm. I just want to make that clear. Um, I read a lot, so... <laughs> That's fine. Again, that's fine. Like, I'm not judging anybody, like, whatever. But also, there's just something in me that's like, oh, but I haven't haven't read it. I haven't read it. I also actually haven't read Twilight, so I guess I can't really... I think I should I should note uh, that certain certain portions of my uh, my internet community have been very clear that what is portrayed in Fifty Shades is not BDSM as the BDSM community practices it. It is an abusive relationship. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's what I understand of the book too. It's like it's not. I don't know. Again, this is I haven't read it, and I'm also not part of that community. But it seems like it's somebody writing about it as someone who doesn't know about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. is what it seems like. Yep. Well, it's fan, it's fan fiction. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, cool. You're at 40 points. Question five. The Marquis de Sade was held in the Bastille for about five years, until just ten days before the storming of the Bastille during the French Revolution. Bastille Day, which commemorates the storming, is recognized every year on what date? Oh, and as good. a hint, it just recently passed. Okay. Um, I think it's July 14th. It is July 14th. <laughs> well done. Well done. Just, uh, yeah, just this this last week, Thursday. <laughs> it was Bastille Day. Hey, look at this. You are at 50 points, and we're going into the final, and its category is literature. I'm going to wager all 50. It's probably good. I imagine you know this. All right, quest- final question. The Marquis de Sade is said to have influenced writers of the following generations, either in style or philosophy. One such writer, Gustave Flaubert, is particularly known for his debut novel, in which the title character engages in multiple extramarital affairs and a self-indulgent lifestyle. Which novel from 1857 is that? I think it's Madame Bovary. It is Madame Bovary. Yes! Well done. Okay, so that wasn't... I mean, you did very well. It was a great quiz. I'm glad it wasn't as hard as I... I'm an expert in sadism, I think, is what we've learned here. I, I thought about having a joke question that was like, and the final question is, do you like it? <laughs> Just a, kidding. Don't answer that. <laughs> I'm an ordained minister of word and sacrament, Kyle. How um, dare you? <laughs> anyway. Uh, hey, well done. A hundred points breaking the three digit mark. Woohoo! Uh, thank you. And uh, thank you. For, this was such a fun quiz. And, and, uh, fascinating deep dive uh so thank you uh and thank you listeners for spending your time with us make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you would if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables and if you have friends who watch jeopardy let them know about our podcast you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one 
Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.